Today on City Cash Chicago, Gerard Higgins, better known as Juice World, went from teen SoundCloud rapper to multi-platinum artist in less than four years, topping the charts and garnering billions of streams worldwide. Then in 2019, the 21-year-old from the South Suburbs died of a drug overdose. A new documentary out now on HBO Max shows how addiction, depression, and anxiety influenced his music. We talk with the music writer about Juice World's life and legacy. It's Thursday, January 13th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Mark, can you tell me when is the first time you heard of Juice? It was maybe about 2018. I think it was like viral clips going around of this rapper just rapping nonstop, just with dreads and everything, and uh, and just getting it, getting it, getting it, getting it, getting it. But it didn't all the way connect with me until Death Race with Love, Death Race for Love, that album, his first real album that came out. Around that time, I was really just getting in touch with more of my mental health at the time, a song called Maze. Stuck in a maze, everything's okay, but it's not. I just been hooked to him ever since. Yeah, Death Race for Love came out in 2019. But let let's do that. When you looked into his upbringing, can you tell me a little bit about you know where Juice World came from? You know what was his his home life like? Growing up, Juice World he's from the south suburbs of Chicago, and he grew up in a Christian household with uh, his mother and his uh, father at the time. He went to HF. He went to Homewood Flossmore. Exactly, Homewood Flossmore. Yeah, he went there and graduated there, and like he was rapping in high school. He didn't necessarily listen to rap music growing up as much as some of his peers, and you can kind of hear that in his music. Who were some of his early musical influences? I think what it was, he wasn't allowed to listen to rap music at the time because they was like, mm-hmm. in, like I said, a Christian household and everything. And uh, he kind of snuck to it. But a lot of his influences, he was a fan of um, Juice, the Chicago rapper that beat Eminem in the freestyle battle. He was a big fan of that rapper. He was, of course, a fan of um, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, uh, Biggie, Tupac, uh the Drill Movement, Chief Keef, G Herbo, Lil Bibby, all of that. He was like a rare breed of artist that was kind of influenced by all of that stuff. Rap, rock. He, his music kind of like brings me back to when we were, when I was in high school and you had like Evanescence, Linkin Park, you know, that whole wave of like new metal, emo type of stuff that a lot of black, that was like white bands, but black kids listened to him and they had hip hop influences. You know, what would you say made him stand apart from some of the other, you know, SoundCloud rappers that were coming out around 2017, 2018? A lot of pure hip hop pairs, I think, misunderstood him. He he knows how to make an instant hit. Like he knew how to make music beyond rap to make music that everybody could appreciate. But as a pure lyricist, I don't think he ever really got the real credit for that because he was advanced. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, like songs yeah. like Syphilis. Um, every day I'm on go mode with a photo up in my pants. Slump. Fall for the perks and the coding, no more can I ever do Zan. Um, I take drugs when I'm coping. Uh, mama told me to turn to a dope thing. Uh, niggas in jail dropping a soap like what? I heard that that was your homie. Yeah. 
Syphilis was one of my favorite jumps from Juice World. Like you could just see him go off on that on that one. One of the things they say in the documentary is that he was putting out songs that had numbers that competed with people like The Weeknd and like Drake. Like when he put out a hit, it really blew up. Yeah, there hasn't been an artist like that from Chicago. You mean even with like Chief Keef blowing up and Dirk and, and King yeah. Louie? Yeah. And you mean in this generation? Because I mean, when Ye put out them first projects, them boys went to the moon pretty quickly. Ye, that's a whole different metric, I think. Because, you know, he been doing, he been rocking since 96. Juice World became damn near instant style within, off SoundCloud. Like, especially in hip hop, that's unprecedented. A large part of his fan base were teenagers, young kids who really connected with his music. Why do you think young people vibed with Juice World so closely? Because they're dealing with the same issues he's going through, but he's just honest about it. When you look at a lot of artists like Tupac, the reason why they were able to resonate with so many people is because he talked about hopelessness. He talked about being sad. He talked about being miserable. And then when you think about what a lot of these kids dealing with today, it's a certain level of, of just hopelessness and not being heard and just being depressed, being sad, feeling like don't nobody understand you, feeling like you screaming in the void, don't nobody care about you, don't nobody give a fuck about you. You know what I'm saying? And that, even like songs like He Motions, you know, you ever listen to that song, He Motions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's for niggas. That's for fellas right there. I'm not a drug addict, got it all wrong. I'm just a love addict to my heart gone. I'm just a love addict with the love songs. You with me is where you belong. Going through emotions, muddy emotions. Dealing with relationships, dealing with hustling while you're dealing with relationships, dealing with sadness, dealing with demons, things like that. E even, even with drug addiction, you know. Like the way he just so openly talked about it in a way, in a non-glamorous way, by the way. He gave a voice to a lot of people emotions that they just didn't know how to talk about. We'll be right back. Why do you think the way he covered his addiction, his battles with anxiety resonated differently? Because he's not the, the first artist and, and, you know, surely won't be the last to bear their soul on a record. Because, you know, what one thing I think of is that scene when they was getting ready to buy the foes and everything to lean with that rapper. And he was mm -hmm. like, man, you rich, man. No, nah, I'm a junkie. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 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 Yeah. Nigga Rich. No, I'm, I'm a junkie. <laughs> no, I'm a junkie. I, I sat with, I paused it after I heard that, and I just sat there for a second. It felt like a, a level of, like, honesty that was, at the same time, kind of scary. Like, one point he looked at the camera straight on and said, When we both die, we gonna have somebody put it out? When we die, they'll put this out. It was just, it was just casual. I think I think it's a bunch of different things. I think that you know when you're young and you know just thinking you were invincible, comment that's one thing. But then it's also like it's tied to this beautiful art, the beginning and the end of the reality and the entertainment for a lot of people around. Maybe that may have been blurred. 
After watching Juice World into the abyss, do you really buy that though? I mean, people was handing them things. Everybody could. It was all in pretty plain sight. Do you really think it was a we don't know where the the reality stops and the art begins when, you know, I mean, everybody was doing drugs. <laughs> there are certain people who probably like was probably around them, but may not be aware. And within every story in history with big artists, there are enablers. I also noticed too that there weren't a whole lot of like big homies. Everybody that was around them was like damn near under like under under 28, 30, something like that. Yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of young people just like you said, kind of living in a way that screams invincibility. The documentary is made after the fact, so we already know how it ends. But as you're watching it, are you, are you getting this feeling that, you know, between the music and his actions, that it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy? Unfortunately. I, I wish that something, something would have saved him just in time. And there probably was people who tried to tell him, or tried to save his life. But the truth is, when you in the throes of addiction, deep, serious-ass addiction, you can have all the people around you tell you it's not enough, you know, and shit happens, you know. One of the things I said on Twitter, I said, like, you know, I think every person who's a social worker should watch this documentary because one of the things he also talked about was, like, him being on... um like medication for ADHD. You know, you tell your mom, your dad, your auntie, whoever that, you feel like you got anxiety, you feel like you got depression, you feel like you got ADD, whatever. They don't look at you like you're crazy. Mm-hmm. But you don't got that, get out, go, get out of here. Like, that's not how it should be, but that's how it is, and that needs to change. Even if you never heard of Juice World, I think this is a documentary that a lot of activists, social workers, people who's curious about the music industry, people like that could just watch. Everything that Juice World was going through is a failure of the music industry. It's a failure of society. It's a failure of, you know what I'm saying, a bunch of different systems that could have possibly saved a, a once-in-a-lifetime superstar. What do you think his you know, tragic death says to the the millions of kids who connected with him so closely. What I always got from Juice World's music and Juice World's messages is he never wanted it to be like him. I, I would like to think that it resonates as a cautionary tale. Juice World's last album, Fighting Demons, came out after he died. And we've seen different results on posthumous albums, right? Uh, that came out in the past couple years. Mark, what do you think of this album? As far as the posthumous releases and everything, like Pop Smoke's shit was, mm, Mac Miller's was beautiful. Juice World is one of my favorites. That's as far as the as far as the posthumous albums that's been kept up. They still sound pristine, like they still sound like things that he would have dropped, been dropped. But with this latest album, I think this is the darkest one yet. But that first track, Burn, really hit hard when it got to the point when he said, uh, 
Gotta put the narcotics down. I can feel them fucking up my kidney and punching my liver. If I let it kill me, my mama will never forgive me. Again, at the moment when he was in the studio, just rapping these lyrics, it felt prophetic. His producer was talking about how it was going to play at Coachella and in stadiums when they when they got to perform it. Yeah, it was it was meant for that. You know, that's what was so disappointing about him passing. You know what I'm saying? That particular record would have been a barn burner. But to experience that, like the themes in this with this particular album, like it just made me feel like, man, I wish he could have got the help he needed. As we're still in this pandemic, you said it yourself, a lot of the young people who connected with his music are dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, dealing with, you know, the confusion in schools, the confusion of graduating and Mm. And a lot of them are turning to this music and potentially turning to the same types of vices. How can we, you know, continue to celebrate the legacy of Juice World while also letting it serve as the cautionary tale to young people to say, like, you know, there are better ways to cope? I think Juice World wanted people to know that. I think with to talk about it, to talk about your feelings, not just to take drugs, but to tell why you're taking drugs. I think the best thing you could do is, you know, talk to your children about their feelings. Talk to your kids about what they're going through. I know it's going to take some time and kids don't always open up with their feelings, especially boys. Talk to your kids about what they're going through and have honest conversations and talk to them about what you're going through. And I think ultimately he wanted us to be honest about and finding better ways we could help each other. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you for making time for us here at City Cash Chicago. This is a very beautiful conversation. Uh, so thank you. I appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here. Anything y'all need, y'all feel free to give me any time, man. I'm glad to be here. Juice World's mom, Carmela Wallace, has founded an organization called Live Free 999 that supports mental health and addiction intervention programs. Check the show notes on how you can help the organization. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Chicago public school students organized under the name Shirads are planning a citywide walkout tomorrow. Sydney Madden wrote about it in today's newsletter. Check it out at chicago.citycast.fm slash newsletter. The Chicago Department of Public Health said it's distributing 1.9 million KN95 masks, 200,000 to CPS, 20,000 to each of the city's wards, then the rest to libraries and community-based organizations. Hopefully they drop a few off at my crib. And some good news to get you through. The Hot Dog Box is opening their second location this Saturday in Portage Park. You can enjoy their famous filet mignon dog from 11 to 7. Their original Bronzeville location is closed for the winter. Remember, tell your friends, families, co-workers, even the people you don't like because everybody deserves City Cash Chicago in their life. Tell everybody about us. We got a dope podcast, a dope newsletter, and you can win some swag. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.
All right, I am recording. Let's move everything to a clean desktop. So no distractions, Mr. Potter.